on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. The city that reinvents itself all the time, and it's what are you going to go after, right? What is your niche as a, as a city going to be? Um, how are you going to grab these people who are just really have this intense vigor to travel again, pull them in and get them to want to come back? Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 105 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the show, I wanted to thank everyone who took the time to download and listen to the last episode of the podcast, Vegas FAQ 2.0, where I took a deep dive into some of the most frequently asked questions I see about Las Vegas. I covered everything from how to get around the city to picking a hotel and restaurant and even pot, booze and prostitution laws. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 104, Vegas FAQ 2.0, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. As anyone who's a frequent visitor to Las Vegas knows, it's a city that's in a constant state of flux. And thanks to some changes in casino and hotel ownership, along with a few rebrands and major overhauls, the Vegas Strip is going to look very different in the coming years. Joining me on this episode of the podcast to discuss some of these upcoming transitions is fellow content creator and travel blogger Adam Bauer, a.k.a. Travel Fanboy. Adam got his start in the blogging world writing about Las Vegas, eventually expanding his horizons to include travel in general. Adam and I shared our opinions on what we thought some of the effects of these ownership changes would be, what a Vegas strip without the Mirage volcano will look like, and we even dove into the rumor world regarding the Tropicana. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam Bauer, aka Travel Fanboy. I was in like my mid-20s. I was living in Detroit at the time. I had been a teacher for a while, uh, an English teacher, but I was going back to school. I was getting a business degree and I was really, really kind of jonesing to learn more about like content marketing, online writing, that kind of thing really kind of piqued my interest. And I had been a Vegas fan uh, forever since I was uh, a teen and my parents brought me there. Um, and uh, at the time, my wife was going through medical training, so she was always busy and she was very keen to let me do whatever it is I wanted to do to keep myself busy while you know she was working and training. And so Vegas just seemed kind of like the natural, fun kind of ploy for me to explore kind of content marketing, um, you know, online writing, that kind of thing, getting into kind of the blogosphere. So I started Vegas Fanboy uh, back then. That was 2014-ish then and then. The, the, the mid 2000s, uh, those aughts. And uh, yeah, and it uh, kind of was a, it was more successful than I thought it was going to be. I think I found kind of a fun niche of, you know, finding um, really a, appeasing to the low roller. 
That's what I was looking at um, because that's kind of how my Vegas experiences had, had kind of gone. Um, one of my favorite sites, Cheapo Vegas, uh, was kind of um, on the back burner. It wasn't really producing much content anymore. And so I kind of found uh, that kind of being a fun angle there. And it, it kind of took off from there. And I can appreciate wanting to do that, that low roller um, side of things because, and, and that seems to be kind of common in a lot of the, the Vegas bloggers and, um, and content creators that I've talked to, because there's, if you Google Las Vegas vloggers or Las Vegas bloggers, there's these people out there that seem to have endless streams of income, or they are the influencers with all of the, the millions yeah. of Instagram followers. So they're getting everything for free. So I can 100% appreciate when somebody is doing something that is really kind of right up my alley. I mean, when you're talking about $7.99 steak and eggs at Ellis Island or the $5.99 lunch menu at Ocean One, I mean, that is, that's right in my wheelhouse. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. And I've, hey, I'll admit, I've always paid for everything. I've never let a casino pay for anything for me, uh, spare like a comp or something like that. But yeah, I think that was, and a lot of people are like that too, right? And that's when, you know, their early memories of Vegas or going to Vegas when they're, you know, they're, they're twenties, early thirties, and they're kind of trying to, you know, save here or there. But I would say that it, it evolved a little bit because it wasn't, and it hasn't been just kind of finding the, the very inexpensive type things. It's about really trying to maximize the value that you get out of it too, because there's some really cool experiences. They can cost some money, uh, but you know, it's kind of weeding out like what's worth it, right? What's worth spending a few more dollars on, or how do you get this really nice room uh, at the most kind of inexpensive price out of pocket? It's kind of finding those angles, which is always a lot of fun too. And I assume that being that you were a somewhat frequent Vegas visitor, much like myself, you were probably getting hit up for ideas and questions all the time by friends or family or coworkers or people who were going to Vegas. And I know that was kind of, for me, that was almost sort of the genesis of, of the podcast in, in that I thought, you know what, people are always asking me for all these things. I assume that they're, you know, my friends aren't the only ones who have these questions. So if I can put it out there to the general world, it, it might be able to, to, to become something. Oh yeah, it definitely was. And for me too, it was, I was always kind of thinking about my next Vegas trip. And I think a lot of people that you and I know in our circles are like that too. And so it was, how do I take this energy that I have? And I'm uh, wasting it. I'm putting that in air quotes, you know, online, looking at websites and and looking at, you know, the, the casino sites and stuff. And I might as well put this effort into something and put it out there because I'm, I'm doing it anyway um, and sharing what I find. And uh, that was, that was always a fun part of, of building up the site and being a part of the community too. I know from my own experience, half of the time I'm usually sitting at the airport waiting to get on my next flight home when I'm already starting to plan out my hotels and look at dates right. and look at, look at my next trip. So I, I, I think that that's a pretty, uh, a pretty common thing for, I think for those of us that are kind of in this, this circle, but it, but for everyone in general, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, and I, I try to have a, a level head about it. I mean, there's so many people out there that know far more about Vegas than I ever will, but I think, uh, you know, people like you and me and the other content creators is we just kind of had the audacity to go out there and, and put it online and get some thick skin and get ready for some feedback and, uh, you know, that's kind of the fun part about it too. And in recent years, you've taken the blog and you've kind of expanded it. You, you've moved it from being just a straight up Vegas blog to more of a, an overall travel blog. What was the um, idea behind making that change? Yeah, that's a good question. So it was my wife had finished her medical training and I was seeing my free time, if you will, kind of dwindle. It was the time that I was going to be able to travel solo because 
we're, you know, we were married, but she was done. We're moving back uh, to Chicago where we're both from uh, planning to start a family. So I, I didn't see uh, being able to go to Vegas as frequently as I was able to prior. Um, but I still really liked the idea of writing online um, and kind of shifting to a married slash family focus. And so it was kind of exploring the, the points and miles world, the more broad travel loyalty world, while still kind of always keeping, you know, one foot uh, in Vegas, kind of. But uh, thinking that my travels would broaden a little bit, of course, the last couple of years have put a damper on that. But um, I learned a lot. Uh, from kind of exploring that avenue. Um, and that's kind of, I, I think, really paid off too, because I think Vegas is just ripe for those kinds of travel loyalty opportunities. And it's, it's always kind of, Vegas always kept kind of pulling me back, uh, not just kind of geographically speaking, but uh, content wise as well. It's really hard to escape. Well, and I think that in as much as the loyalty stuff may be viewed by some people as, an entirely separate world. It really does apply to Las Vegas. I mean, it is a city that really does reward people's loyalty with uh, things like comp rooms and, and tracking your, your various spending and things like that. So I, I really do think it, it does, even though it is kind of a broader topic, it really does apply to the Las Vegas world. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I realized very quickly that me and I think a lot of other people maybe were kind of spinning our wheels trying to figure out how do I get a, a free room or a free meal and kind of maximize our our gambling to make sure that we're being noticed by the casinos. But I mean, there's a myriad of ways to get a free room in Las Vegas. You know, if, if you're kind of keen to the points and miles or the travel loyalty world that you don't have to rely on, you know, um, maximizing your gambling dollar or making sure you're getting noticed by the casino. And it kind of freed up a little bit um, how I approached gambling in a sense, too. Um, because I wasn't so much worried um, about, you know, about my my average daily theoretical and, uh, you know, just kind of the games that I played. It, it was kind of a, a bit freeing in that sense, learning about that. Was it hard to make that shift, though? I mean, I know, particularly taking kind of my own experience of having to um, refocus the podcast and make some changes on how I was handling things and how I was writing and the topics I was going out to cover because being Canadian, I couldn't travel to Vegas. I couldn't do anything because of COVID for the last couple of years. So I know it's, it's not easy to kind of have to refocus and make that shift. Did you, did you have some issues trying to, trying to refocus that or figure out how to get the focus on a, a general overall travel blog? Um, not so much the actual like content and the execution of it. I think for me, it was my personality and I can be kind of a bit sarcastic and goofy at times. And so it was really kind of finding where did I fit into this broader travel loyalty world where when I was getting into the Vegas stuff, the content community for Vegas was still relatively small. I mean, there were only a couple podcasts out. I mean, uh, there weren't too many kind of blogs. Um, it was it was a very kind of small community. Whereas when I jumped into travel loyalty, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very big community. So it was, how do I make my name in there? How do I get recognized there? Um, just from a personality standpoint and kind of finding my niche uh, in there. It was, it was a fun challenge. Um, and uh, that's another really interesting space with some big personalities as the Vegas content world is. But uh, I have fun kind of dabbling in, in that kind of stuff and, and being a strong personality. So I, I kind of took to it uh, and had some fun with it. And I really do love that approach that you take where you, you're not taking yourself so seriously. I've had some limited interactions with a few travel bloggers and loyalty points type bloggers who really do take themselves far too seriously and kind of come across as being 
better than everybody else. And when I read those interactions or, or I have those conversations, I just kind of think to myself, like, chill out, relax. We're, we're, we're trying to all work towards the same common goal here, whether it's educating people about travel or educating people about Las Vegas, just, just dial it down a couple of notches and just relax. Stop taking yourself so damn seriously. I know we're talking about travel or talking about vacations. Like it should, it should be fun. And I do get that, you know, some people, this is uh, their profession. They're really trying to make a go at it, which I, I respect, but yeah, I mean, and I think sometimes people just don't know how to take me, which is completely fair. And I'm not saying that uh, I always toe the line perfectly um, that that's for sure. But uh, yeah, I know I'm with you completely. I think, um, you know, it's, these are communities that uh, really should be having a lot more fun at times than we are. It does get serious. I'm not saying that I uh, don't fall victim to that uh, at times, but yeah, I really tried to, you know, kind of be goofy and and not take myself too seriously. And uh, I like kind of poking at people a little bit, um, but I have to remember that, you know, I'm not, I didn't grow up with these people. They're not my friends. And in my friends group is, you know, we poke each other. We have a lot of fun with it. And some people, I think I just made a tweet about this the other day where I'm like, people should be poking me back. I want that. I, I appreciate that. I actually, um, Tim from the better life, a uh, really good gambling podcast. He, uh, like kind of made fun of me sarcastically one time. And I shot him a DM, like right after, like, that was so good. That was so funny. I appreciate that so much. Um, we have kind of like a fun back and forth. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I want a lot more fun personalities uh, in this space. And I don't know, maybe if it's this, this influencer culture that we're living through or living with or, or, or what that is kind of contributing to this, this attitude of people taking themselves so seriously when it comes to this stuff. I mean, you alluded to it when you first launched your, um, your Vegas blog, there weren't a ton of those types of blogs out there. When I first launched this podcast in, in late 2018, early 2019, there weren't a, a lot of Vegas podcasts out there, not nearly as many as there are now. And now it seems that everybody fancies themselves an influencer. Anybody who goes to Las Vegas and shoots video on a GoPro or, or on their, their smartphone and then uploads it to YouTube seems to think that they are important and they're an influencer. And we're kind of getting this, um, this clutter, so to speak. I mean, it's now reached that point, you know, it used to be the expression of being a big fish in a small pond. Now, even if you have 50, 80, a hundred thousand subscribers to a YouTube channel, you're essentially a, a, a big fish in a, a really big pond. And it's, it's very, very hard to, to cut through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is, is, as I was kind of alluding to before, I was really trying to figure out what, what, what's your niche going to be, right? How, how are you going to focus on it? Cause there are some some big names, I would say, I say big names, again, kind of in quotes in the Vegas community that have been around for a long time and they cover the city broadly. Uh, they cover it well. Um, but, you know, unless you've been around a while and have built up an audience, you've, you've got to find some sort of angle. Um, and luckily for me, the low roller angle is still kind of untapped. Um, I think there's people that care about it, but in terms of covering it and covering it specifically and only kind of that, um, there's still really not a lot of kind of strong personalities uh, in that particular niche. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think if, if you're thinking of starting a Vegas blog or podcast, I mean, by all means, uh, there's room for everybody. Uh, but yeah, figure out what, you know, what do you stand for? What do you what's your angle going to be? Um, Cause there's, there's plenty of people out there just craving this content still. Um, and they want to connect with somebody that has kind of a, a similar focus as they do. 
And especially now, too, as things are starting to open up and restrictions are starting to go away and there's this um, this pent up urge for people to get out and travel, I think th- there's definitely a, a hunger for this content and this travel content and people want to do as much research as they can about the destinations that they're wanting to visit. So if that means reading blogs or listening to podcasts, they want to consume as much of that content as they can. So if, yeah, as you say, if you're thinking about, um, launching a podcast or launching a a blog or, or something like that, go for it, do it, find your niche, pick your audience and focus on those people. And then the only other piece of advice that I give is, um, reach out to other creators. Um, it's a very welcoming community. And that's something that I found right from the start when I started this podcast is I had other podcasters and other creators reaching out to me to try to get the word out about what I was doing. It's a, it's a very welcoming community and everybody is, is trying to help each other out at least for the most part anyways. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I, I agree with you hundred percent and I'm rooting for pretty much everybody in the scene. There's personalities that I, I tend to not get along with. We don't have to go down that, <laughs> that Avenue, but, uh, but I think if we transition slightly, it's, it's actually, cause you brought up the, the opportunity, the restrictions coming up. I think it's a really interesting opportunity for Vegas too, to figure out, okay, what are these next 10 years going to look like for this city? Because it's a city that reinvents itself all the time. And it's, what are you going to go after? Right. What, what is your niche as a, as a city going to be? Um, how are you going to grab these people who are just really have this intense vigor to travel again, pull them in and get them to want to come back? Um, I think uh, I'm really looking forward to to seeing how the next few years for Las Vegas plays out, because I think there's some some interesting opportunities there. And I'm, I'm wanting these casinos to to succeed. But I think quite a few of them need to really figure out, uh, you know, what kind of customer they're looking for at this point. And that segues absolutely perfectly into the reason behind me wanting to have you on the podcast to to have a conversation. I wanted to chat with another blogger, another content creator, another person who is just as passionate about Las Vegas as I am about some of the changes that are happening in Las Vegas right now. It, It seems like over the course of the last year, particularly, there's just been this flurry of announcements of sales and rebrands yeah. and and ownership changes and and moves and all this kind of stuff. So I wanted to get you on and 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 chat about some of these different changes that are coming. I want to start with one that was just finalized just recently here, and this is the sale of the Venetian, the Palazzo, with um, Las Vegas Sands, which is now not really Las Vegas Sands. It's just Sands Corporation. Yeah. They are, they're selling off or they've sold off their, their Vegas properties in order to uh, focus on, on Asia. Um, this came, the initial announcement came just a couple of months after um, Sheldon Adelson passed away, which uh, I mean, he, he was a rock of that, uh, of, of that particular corporation. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an interesting one. I mean, this is another one of those deals where you've got somebody owning the land and somebody leasing the building or the property <laughs> itself from the land. It's all very weird and confusing. It's all like 80% of Vegas right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very strange, weird kind of deal. They are staying somewhat independent in that they're not being owned by one of these big corporations, MGM or Caesars or one of those. Do you think that that's a, a good thing or a bad thing with with Apollo and, and Vici taking them over? Well, I think, I mean, so like Vici and GLPI are like the two that 
own most, like a ton of the land. I was going to say most, but I, I can't be precise here because I don't know specifically, but they own a lot of the land in Las Vegas and are essentially renting out the, the land to um, these operators um, and Apollo being one of them. Apollo got a lot of criticism for uh, Caesars and essentially taking Caesars through bankruptcy, which I think I'm, I'm about to defend a hedge fund, which I <laughs> vowed never to do. But I mean, I think they kept Caesars afloat longer than most companies would have been able to. I think they pulled off some pretty, again, I'm going to compliment them, savvy, but I, it's a lack of a, a better term right now, some savvy financial moves to keep that company not growing, but at least uh, steady uh, in terms of they weren't really selling off too many properties or anything like that. I don't think that was entirely their fault. Um, you know, Harris acquired Caesars um, in the, the mid 2000s, uh, just a couple years before the market crashed. It was, a, it was just a lot of bad timing. I think uh, Apollo took over in around 2006. Um, so it's really tough to tell. You know, I think they were expecting some growth. And I think Gary Loveman, CEO at the time, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, because I don't want to misquote him, but you know, someone asked him, a reporter asked him about whether or not he was worried. He essentially doubled um, what was Harris, then became Caesar's debt uh, in 2005, and they asked, it, "Is he worried about that? Are investors worried about it?" And he said, "You know, investors, they're not going to be worried about the debt that we have. They're going to be worried about how much money and where we're going to allocate it because we're going to be doing so well." Which is a, <laughs> a very poorly timed, very confident quote from him. Yeah. Um, but move to your question about Venetian. You know, anytime a hedge fund takes over, um, I'm I'm not terribly keen on it for what it means for customers. Um, this is no disrespect to Apollo or their management team, but part of that, my hesitation, is because, well, yeah, it was it was Las Vegas Sands, but as you said, I mean, Adelson was the stalwart of that group, and say what you want about him, politically speaking and personally speaking, but I mean, he ran that company well, and in terms of employee satisfaction, everything that I heard of was more positive than negative in terms of how he treated his employees. And I think if you're going to start measuring success of what a casino is going to do long-term, if you've got happy employees, that's going to make for, for happier customers. And so I'm a little bit concerned about what is exactly going to happen. Um, I'll reserve any judgments to you know just see and be fair to Apollo and, and what they do. But um, yeah, it being kind of uh, independent and, and having that large convention space, it was it was a really great kind of pair of properties for the last 10 years or so. I mean, Adelson really saw the convention business booming and he was absolutely right. And um, they weren't my favorite places to gamble, but people liked them. They were well-maintained. They're beautiful rooms. It's a great property. So yeah, I'm eager to see what, uh, what Apollo does or does not do uh, in the future here. I was going to say, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the employee experience and the guest experience changes without Sheldon Adelson in the picture. I mean, obviously he hasn't been there for quite some time with having passed away. Um, but you go from having a situation where the CEO is there, he's present. I mean, Sheldon Adelson was almost kind of one of the, the last of the old school casino owners in that he was there. He was a part of the operation. Now you go to this situation where you've got a hedge fund running the place. It's, it's kind of just this, this whole thing where as an employee, you're just kind of a number on a, on a ledger sheet. And as a guest, you don't have that same personal experience that you might've had where you could in theory run into the CEO on the gaming floor. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's really tough to tell. I mean, it's hard to judge Apollo for what was going on at Caesars, right? Where they were just treading water for the longest time until they were able to exit that deal. 
Um, I, I'm hoping things remain the same, if not better. Um, again, that's really, I, I think that's tough to do. Like I said, by all accounts, uh, employees were treated well and really liked working there. Um, and I'm not sure that if we're going to be bringing back great gambling conditions and great customer experiences to the strip, that a hedge fund run property is the one that's going to be the one to do it. Again, I, I want to be fair to Apollo and give him the chance, but I'm, I'm none too confident right now in, um, in what's going to happen uh, in that area. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Up next, Adam and I talk about the shifting tide in downtown Las Vegas, rumors and speculation on a classic resort, and the effect an ownership change will have on one of the best properties on the Strip. That's coming up on Jeff Does Vegas. Let's talk about the Cosmopolitan. This is a property that has basically ruined me uh, on every other Las Vegas hotel that I've ever stayed at. My wife and I had our first opportunity to stay there back in December. My wife and I had an amazing experience. The place was gorgeous. It was nicer than any place that we've ever stayed. We had one of the terrace suites, so we had that whole thing. It was gorgeous. Um, back in September, it was announced that MGM is going to be taking over resort operations of the Cosmo. This is another one of those weird real estate deals where the real estate portion goes to a group of companies and MGM is going to lease the property and blah, blah, blah. This is, this is a huge addition to MGM's yeah. portfolio. You think that this is going to be a, a positive for the company and, and do you think it's going to be a positive for guest experience as well? I mean, I think it's going to be great for MGM. I think it was a really smart move, especially just consolidating their properties too. And we saw that with them unloading Mirage, where it, it really did seem like that's what they wanted to do was kind of own that center part of the strip there as much as they could. In terms of experience for the customer, I'm, I, you know, you keep asking these good questions and I keep sounding like a negative Nancy here. And I don't mean to, <laughs> but it's only because... You know, for the last few years here, I feel like Cosmos has been running on all cylinders and been doing some things really, really well. And I think they've, you know, they've made changes six to five blackjack and, and drink tickets when you're at like, you know, video poker and stuff like that. But they haven't done it with um, kind of in the extreme nature that other places have. And I still think that they were generous with what they were offering and they were treating players pretty fairly in terms of rewarding them for their play. Uh, and to your point, as you introduced it, like you were happy there. I mean, it's, it's a sexy property. It has a ton going for it. Just a wonderful dining. Uh, the casino is just vibrant and lively. Everything you'd want or picture a Vegas casino to be. Um, the rooms are great with fountain views. Um, you know, they're, I guess MGN is finally stealing those views back from the rooms, which is <laughs> nice for them. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does worry me a little bit. Um, I, if, if you ask me which of the big two, Caesar or MGM, I tend to prefer. I do tend to prefer MGM right now, um, Just, um, but that's anecdotal, right? I mean, people have their preferences and, and it makes sense. But yeah, I think um, it didn't seem like, you know, the previous owners were prepping Cosmo for sale. They weren't cutting back on things. They weren't, um, you know, really kind of uh, letting go of their marketing budget. They were still offering, I think, um, uh, rooms and, and experiences to players pretty generously. So I'm hoping that MGM learns from that and sees how loyal people have been to that property and, uh, you know, kind of keep the operations going smoothly. But um, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. You briefly mentioned the Mirage. Let's talk about that one. This 
is, of course, that MGM property that was kind of tucked away on its own, the north end of the Strip, away from all of the other MGM properties. This story actually broke while I was in Vegas. Oh, nice. Um, They announced that they are selling the Mirage to Hard Rock. This is a deal worth about a billion dollars. MGM is going to retain ownership of the Mirage name and license it to Hard Rock for up to three years. They figure this will close by the end of the year. This is uh, one of those deals that I did not see coming, and I don't think a lot of people saw this particular property in play for the hard rock. There had been rumors floating around since they had swapped the last hard rock out to Virgin. I think there Mm -hmm. was planet Hollywood was rumored. The Cosmo was rumored. I think even Bally's was rumored at one point, but at no point did I ever hear the Mirage in the fray for this particular sale. No, for this particular deal, no. I mean, depending on who you follow in the Vegas community, the Mirage has been on the chopping block since 2015. Um, But yeah, this is, this is one that's really fun. Um, I, I hesitate to say that I like it. I, I love the Mirage. I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful property. It really has that kind of, I call it classic New Vegas, right? It's a, it's a Steve Wynn property. The bathrooms are terribly small. So I hope that when Hard Rock goes in and, and guts some things that they expand it because it says, you know, early Steve Wynn small bathroom rooms. But um, it just, it, it's, it's a really fun property. If you're a Vegas aficionado, I think it, um, it was kind of a, a silent favorite for a lot of people. And I'm really interested to see what Hard Rock does with it. Um, the Hard Rock Casino, um, or the Hard Rock Casinos, I think, are another one uh, similar to Cosmo um, at times, depending where you go. Very lively, um, s- some energy in there, um, which can be good for Mirage. I think uh, it can, can liven it up, brighten it up a little bit. I know some people are torn about the volcano uh, you know, being demolished. I hesitate to admit that I think I only saw the volcano show once and it was on accident. I just happened to be there at that time. Um, And I tend to think that having a massive guitar in the strip just kind of fits with the Vegas kitsch. Um, And so that, you know, that might anger some, some Vegas uh, old timers that uh, like seeing things that the way they were, but uh, yeah, I'm interested to see, and it's always good to have another operator uh, on the strip to get some competition there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this, this pans out. I will freely admit that even though, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you with the the volcano. I've only seen it a couple of times, and most of the time it is usually by accident. I'm walking by on the other side of the strip, and I go, right. oh, that's happening. That's why I'm on this side of the strip, to be away from all of the people. Um, but I think it's going to be weird to not see it there, just strictly because mm-hmm. it's been there for so long. As you say, this is a, you know, a Steve Wynn-built property, 1989. It was kind of the first big mega resort in Las Vegas. It's got the Siegfried and Roy history there, even though they haven't been there since 2003. It's still got that history there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're right, I'm, I think it needs that breath of fresh air and with sort of the the de-theming that's been going on to have something coming in and they're going to say yeah we're going to we're going to be a rock and roll resort we're going to build a giant guitar right on the strip a guitar shaped hotel tower and I mean, they got to find somewhere for all that cool memorabilia that was living in the former Hard Rock Hotel. That was always my favorite part of mm-hmm. walking through there was seeing all that music memorabilia. And as you say, it had a real cool energy. So it'll be kind of neat to see that come back to the strip. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think you're exactly right. And I've, I've argued this for a while that Vegas does need to kind of lean back into kind of the ostentatious and then at times even like the goofy, right? Where it's like, you're not going to, I mean, I guess you can find guitar hotels in other places in the country. They definitely exist. Uh, there's one in Florida, but uh, you know, it, it needs to get back to that. Um, people like that stuff. They like that kind of escapism. And uh, I think uh, I'm happy to see the hard rock kind of lean into it a little bit. Let's talk about something Caesars is up to. And this one kind of another ones that sort of came out of nowhere, but wasn't completely unexpected. Middle of January, Caesars announces that they are going to be rebranding Bally's as the horseshoe. Um, they're going to have this done by the end of 2022. They're going to spend about 30 million bucks on on renovations and rebranding, not changing any of the rooms, which I thought was kind of a, a weird play here. Um, they're going to be bringing the World Series of Poker back to, to the strip, which is kind of interesting. Um, this one, another one, again, was kind of came out of nowhere reviving the horseshoe brand um i don't know how i feel about this it's kind of like okay i guess <laughs> feels a little bit like window dressing to me i mean the horseshoe brand to me is kind of synonymous with gambling but uh, as i said I, I i'm not sure if caesars is going to be the one to bring you know fair gambling back to the customer on the Las Vegas strip. I hope they do. Um, but, you know, we've seen gambling con- conditions worsen uh, across the Las Vegas Valley. And uh, I think that we haven't, we haven't seen a lot of what the plans are going to be. They really haven't kind of uh, um, released much. So I'm thinking it's going to be, well, I hope they just give it a power wash for one because Bally's has needed it for about 15 years now, but uh, some painting, some new chips, maybe some new carpet. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I see this as some window dressing right now. As you said, I love seeing that the World Series of Poker is on the strip. That makes it really fun. Uh, it does come with, with some challenges, I think, at times for players. Um, you know, there's already like little rumblings about, uh, you know, they've got some uh, Rio was, was really good about uh, bringing in some like third party food options and stuff. So the players have like really healthy stuff to eat. And there's already rumblings that the, that horseshoe or, you know, Bally's isn't going to allow them to come in, uh, which is angering uh, some big and small poker players. Um, anyway, that's, that's a complete different tangent, but uh, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm happy for this just because the Bally's naming conventions are really confusing at times too, because you've got Bally's Corp and they own Tropicana down the street, but uh, the Tropicana elsewhere across the country is actually owned by Caesars. It's a whole mess with the Bally's names right now. So at the very least, making it uh, customer friendly and just calling it horseshoe so they don't get confused on what exactly Bally's is. What I found kind of interesting when they announced this change from Bally's to the horseshoe they really seem to lean on the history and the heritage of the horseshoe, even going as far as to point out that horseshoe was founded by Benny Binion back in the fifties and originally lived downtown on Fremont street. And it's now Binion's gambling hall and, and really going hard with that, trying to play up the heritage and the history of the name, the horseshoe and what it means to gambling in Las Vegas. And I know for, for me personally, I mean, Bally's was always one of my go-tos. It's, it's the hotel that I probably stayed at the most in Las Vegas. And I mean, in the last few years, they've spent a fair bit of money doing room upgrades and doing a big renovation on the casino floor and the, and the main lobby bar. And I just wonder if, if people, are they going to hit the mark with this? I mean, are people really going to care about the fact that it's now the horseshoe? and not Bally's. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what I suspect is going to happen. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, Bally's is a, a really nice place to stay. At the inexpensive rooms, you get some big rooms. Uh, you it can get some pretty inexpensive suites there as well if you don't mind spending a, a few extra bucks. Um, so I, I do like Bally's as a, as a place to stay. I've stayed there before a few times and, and liked it. It's kind of quietly a, a very pleasant place. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they do a little bit more than just uh, change some signage out front and change the chips, which are really expensive to do. And I hope they have some money left over to, you know, uh, dress it up a little bit more than, than just that. And you brought up the whole Tropicana, Bally's, that whole thing. And I don't usually deal in rumor and innuendo on my podcast. I'm not a fan of it. I like to work, I like to work in facts, but this is kind of one of those rumors that I don't know if you can really ignore it. The, the, the rumor that's been floating around is that the Tropicana will become Bally's. And I mean, this all kind of makes sense considering, you know, you go through the timeline of it. October 2020, Caesar sells the Bally brand name to another company that then rebrands themselves as the Bally's Corporation. Um, they sign a deal in April 2021 to buy the Tropicana, doing the whole, again, the land lease, building lease thing, that whole deal. And then January this year, Caesar says, okay, we're we're not going to be Bally's anymore. So, <laughs> so this... This kind of makes sense in my brain. If if you're following the Gus Grissom CSI chain of evidence, <laughs> it, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does make sense. But I mean, it depends on which rumor you follow, right? Because there's other rumors that it's going to be demolished and the Oakland A's are going to be playing there, you know, uh, you know, in the next few years, too. So um, I, I think you're right. That, that chain does make sense. I don't. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's almost like you're not putting me on the spot, but it's like I hesitate to say one way or the other what's going to happen. It's a hard sell, I think, for Vegas fans to say remove the Tropicana name because it's been such kind of a stalwart at the at the south end of the strip, right? It's it's a classic Vegas hotel. And as I was kind of talking to when we made our transition into this conversation of right where these casinos have to figure out what they're going to do, they've got to do something well, find their niche. I have always seen Tropicana as a place that has struggled to do that. It's a place that is nice enough in every aspect. The rooms are nice enough. The pool's nice enough. The casino's nice enough, but it doesn't do anything great. And it's kind of on an island there with, with the Oyo, formerly Hooters. Um, again, this is a tangent that has nothing to do with the actual question that you asked me. I have no idea if it's going to be called Bally's. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to confuse some people if it becomes Bally's. But right now it's called Tropicana, which is owned by Bally's. But Caesars also owns a Tropicana in New Jersey, which this this whole thing just needs to get straightened out. So I'm fine with whatever, as long as these companies figure out what they're going to name, you know, whatever. It, it would be great if Bally's bought uh, one of the horseshoe casino somewhere maybe in indiana and then you know we could get really confused <laughs> i just as i say i mean it's one of those things that seem to make a lot of sense to me but you're right the tropicana but you're right the tropicana is an okay property they need to do something with it it's i mean there's no questioning it's a heritage property it's one of those ones that has has been there forever but somebody needs to do something with it. They need to put a lot of money into it. They need to do some renovations. They need to do some upgrades. I'll freely admit I have not spent a whole lot of time in the Tropicana, but anytime I've gone through there, it just feels old. So I don't know if it's a case of they need to spend a lot of money to do a lot of upgrades and keep it as the Tropicana or do the same thing, but rebrand it as a Bally's or even go as far as imploding the whole thing and, and rebuilding a brand new Bally's. 
Right. Yeah. And I'm with you. And that's, you know, that's been my thoughts about it. You know, you see Tropicana from across the street. If you're staying at one of the MGM properties, like, do I really want to walk all the way across the Tropicana? And I have just to kind of say, I have, I haven't spent much time in there. Um, There's opportunities kind of abound for, for that property. Um, I, you know, I say, oh, they won't change the name as a Tropicana. It's a classic, but we see mirages changing. Um, So, you know, um, changes abound in Las Vegas and, you know, it, if, if it does go away, that's fine. I think it's, it's good for Vegas to kind of change its stripes every now and then and, and for new players to kind of come in. But uh, you got to, to your point, got to do something with it, right? And, and just slapping a new name on it isn't necessarily going to get uh, people in there long term. And the Major League Baseball rumor that's been going around, the rumor that they're going to tear the place down and build a stadium. I mean, there's, again, following the Gus Grissom chain of evidence here and the research that I've done, this kind of makes a little bit of sense because Bally's, the Bally Corporation, has affiliations with Major League Baseball. They've got TV rights through a partnership with a broadcasting group. So, I mean, there's a big lot south South, yeah, south, going in the right direction, south of the Tropicana that could theoretically hold a baseball stadium. Yeah, I mean, I I never say uh, no to rumors. Um, I'm I'm not one who dabbles in them either. I mean, I I might just start because, you know, broken clock and all that, right? I can just say (laughs) that uh, every casino on the Strip is up for sale, and uh, I'll probably be right at least once every five years. So, Um, But you're right. I'm going to take the wait and kind of see approach. But because we have so many of these um, leaseback deals or these these land and operations deals, what you have are these kind of – if you look at these resorts, I mean, they're kind of split. And so, you know, if the Oakland A's want to come in, they've got to buy out uh, Bally's and they got to buy out GLPI. So they're making multiple deals here. And I feel like we would start to get uh, some rumblings of that um, if if there were kind of serious deal makings going on. But but I mean, I've, I've been wrong plenty of times and I said, oh, no, that'll probably never happen. So, um, you know. We'll see. Do you think that these changes, I mean, are these what the strip needs right now? This sort of fresh coat of paint and some of these changes, because I mean, things have been, I don't want to say stagnant for the last five years, but there really hasn't been a lot of movement or change in the last five years along the strip, kind of from Mirage South, I guess, other than maybe Monte Carlo flipping to park MGM, but otherwise things have been pretty solid. Lots of stuff happening north of fashion show mall with resorts world and um fountain blue allegedly starting back up again but do you think that this is kind of what's needed on that end of the strip as some of these changes to happen honestly jeff i don't think the strip needs to do anything for a couple of years and and the reason i say that is because one i think travel is going to pick up and people are really eager to get out there and travel and they've kind of been sitting um, at home waiting for their opportunity, waiting things for die down and get out. And so I think the appetite for travel is going to help the strip tremendously. Uh, but another reason I think that the strip is going to be okay for now without anything major is because I feel that downtown Las Vegas has been shooting itself in the foot for the last four or five years. I think gambling conditions have worsened. Um, you know, you, you're seeing six to five blackjack, triple zero roulette kind of spread. And I think for a long time, people who really liked Vegas saw downtown as their kind of escape. It was, it kind of harkened back to the old days where, yeah, the the $5 buffets and then the $2, $3, $5 table limits were starting to go away. That's fine. But you still felt like you got a fair shake downtown. Uh, And it was kind of unique in that regard, right? And it it really kind of catered to the gambler, whereas the strip kind of was seen towards the tourists, maybe a younger crowd. Um, That's kind of where it was gravitating. And I've seen 
downtown kind of start to get away from what it was doing really well. And I think I've started to see gamblers get a little bit disillusioned. Um, Circa has probably helped kind of galvanize downtown a little bit. People are excited about it. But how much can one hotel do to kind of keep people away from the strip? Whereas I look at it now and I see the gambling conditions in both and the reasons why I would go downtown. I I see that gap between the strip and downtown shrinking to the point where I'd rather stay in a really nice strip hotel if the gambling conditions are similar, if not maybe just a little bit worse on the strip. I'd rather just, you know, have my time on the strip in, in, in that regard. So um, I think they have some time, but I, I think, you know, after, after the energy of travel kind of dies down and things settle a bit, I, I think you're right though. I think it does need to kind of do something. It needs to figure out who it is, what kind of customer they're going after and um, yeah, kind of, you know, get something exciting going again uh, on the strip. The North strip might be the the place to do it. If fountain blue truly is going to be done by Q4 of 2023, like they say it is. It's interesting that you bring up downtown and you bring it up the way you do in mentioning that it seems like downtown Las Vegas is starting to turn into exactly what chased people away from the strip to downtown in the first place. And with a property like Circa, um, it had been a couple of years since I'd been to Vegas. So this last trip was my first opportunity to see Circa and I'm not going to take away anything from the property. I mean, it is beautiful. It is the gem of Fremont street. There's no question there. It's shiny. It's new. Uh, the hotel is great. The, uh, the property, the amenities are amazing, but I kind of wonder if downtown Las Vegas is falling victim to its own success. It's getting a little bit greedy. You're starting to see resort fees and parking fees and prices increasing. And, and as I say, all those things that initially got people to leave the strip are now making their way to downtown. And you kind of have to wonder what effect that's going to have. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, the one thing to be fair to downtown, it does have going for it is a little bit more maybe intimacy isn't the right word, but, um, you know, we talk about kind of the corporations, the hedge funds kind of taking over the strip a little bit. You still have kind of some of these independent owners downtown circa with, you know, with Derek Stevens, you've got Jonathan Jostle, the CEO of the Plaza, who people uh, tend to gravitate to. They're strong personalities. They're, they're personable. Um, people like seeing them um, and they like seeing owners and, and C-suiters who are kind of eager to please uh, the customer. And so people tend to gravitate towards that. There's kind of a personality downtown in terms of ownership, which definitely was taking place on the strip for a long time, right? Where you had, not that Steve Wynn and Adelson were on the gaming floor, right? But you had these kind of big, strong, bold personalities on the strip that were were kind of building it up and that people kind of connected with and, and really like to follow. And so you do get that a little bit downtown, but you're right. There's, you know, there's, there's a plethora of things that have changed downtown in the last five, six, seven years um, that are... Uh, I, I think uh, an annoyance to, to some people who saw downtown as their kind of uh, escapism from the proliferation of, of kind of uh, fees and stuff like that. Do you think we'll ever see those days when the um, the resort fees and the parking fees and, and all that stuff go away? Or, or is the, the genie well and truly out of the bottle on that one? I mean, this is a, a massive revenue source for these companies, not that they're not making money off of rooms and, and gambling and, and all the other stuff going on in the properties. But let's be honest, those fees are a huge part of their revenue. 
I mean, if hedge funds are involved, probably not. I mean, maybe when the FTC steps in, uh, eventually they'll <laughs> they'll do that. But I mean, they'll always find something else to kind of poke you with some some random fee. You see these uh, popping up at like the eateries, right? The the CNF fees and stuff like that that are blindsiding people. And um, yeah, I. I I don't know if the travel industry by and large is going to kind of wise up. Um, Vegas always seems like ground zero for fees too, by the way. Like it starts in Vegas, resort fees definitely started proliferating in Vegas and then really did spread uh, kind of nationwide. Uh, and so it's uh, I I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Well, fingers crossed um, yes. <laughs> that it will. Um, you have a newsletter that you put out as part of your uh, your travel fanboy uh, blog. Tell me a little bit about the newsletter. I did. Uh, well, I did. I'm, I'm I'm on pause right now, probably until I'm saying like May 1st, I want to pick it back up again. Um, but just some health issues that uh, kind of kept my energy levels down. But uh, but yeah, it was a newsletter. It was three bucks a month. Um most months I got out to a month, but you know my subscribers were great and patient with me. But uh, the idea was um, very similar to what we were talking about before. Was I would comb all the Las Vegas websites, uh, more specifically, like every casino's website, uh, looking for promotions, deals, great kind of unique kind of nuggets on, on menus and stuff like that, and really kind of what I would say would find like some really great value opportunities there, right? So like um, great happy hour deals. Um, kind of some unique, inexpensive suites uh, where to find like all the the cabanas that are inexpensive to have kind of like a really fun day there. So that was kind of what it, it was. And so it was, yeah, it's twice a month, three bucks a month. Uh, I'm going to start it up again, uh, probably, yeah, like I said, in May. Um, Twitter is kind of the best place to to get that announcement to uh, to sign up if, if they want to. Thanks for asking. Perfect. And speaking of which, if people want to find you online, website, social media, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. So travel fanboy on Twitter, that's where I spend kind of most of my time interacting with the community Travelfanboy.com is website. I haven't updated it much because I haven't really traveled much <laughs> in the last two years. Um, going to Florida soon though. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. But um, I also acquired um, a website called cheapskate Vegas. Uh, I'm not a cheapskate. I think that's almost kind of like a put down, but uh, kind of leaning into the uh, inexpensive kind of Vegas finds type thing. And so that'll launch um, probably around the same time as the newsletter. So late April, uh, early May to kind of uh, get back into the Vegas content more regularly. Awesome. Looking forward to that, Adam. Thank you so much for jumping on and, uh, and chatting and sharing your thoughts and opinions and uh, indulging me in my, uh, my rumor mongering here tonight. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We'll, we'll do uh, a special newsletter where you and I can, can come up with uh, our own rumors and, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll track, see how, how right we are uh, over time. I'm in, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. But uh, I really do. I appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you've got a great show here, great production quality, um, you know, one of the good ones here. So I uh, always uh, appreciate uh, interacting with you. Once again, if you want to follow Adam on Twitter, and I highly suggest you do, you can find him at Travel Fanboy. He's also on Facebook at Travel Fanboy, and be sure to visit his website at TravelFanboy.com. Of course, you can find all these links in the show notes at JeffDoesVegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. 
In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.